0: Hey, American Hauntings listeners, it's Troy. Need more American Hauntings in your life? You know you do. So why not check out our other podcast, The Alternate Show, that we do for our Patreon supporters only. Comes out every other week, opposite this one, which means you get our special kind of murder, mystery, mayhem, and the macabre every single week. Right now, we're almost at the end of our latest season, Sinister the true story of H.H. Holmes, a deep dive into the twisting and turning story of the infamous serial killer linked to the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago. So check that out, get that new episode every week, and be a part of American Hauntings by becoming a Patreon supporter and subscribing at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And now, on with the show. The shrill sound of a ringing telephone jolted Jeannie Sauter from her sleep. As she stirred in her bed, she was confused at first about the sound and where it was coming from. Her husband, George, slept soundly beside her. Across the room in a small bed, her youngest child, Sylvia, snored peacefully. Jeannie's head cleared and she realized it was the telephone in her husband's office at the other end of the house. Not wanting the clanging sound to wake up everyone else, Jeannie quickly got out of bed and hurried to the office. Her knee bumped hard into the desk as she reached for the receiver. Hello, she spoke into the handset. From the earpiece, Jeannie could hear music and several voices as if someone was calling from a party. There was some rustling on the other end of the line as if the caller was having trouble holding on to the receiver. And then a woman's voice spoke, asking for a man that Jeannie didn't know. I'm sorry, Jeannie replied. There's no one here by that name. I'm afraid you have the wrong number. The woman on the other end of the line laughed. Jeannie later said that her tone was very strange. It was a laugh that would haunt her for many years to come. Then the line went dead and Jeannie hung up the telephone. Jeannie closed the office door behind her and walked back toward her bedroom. As she crossed the living room, she saw her 17-year-old daughter, Marion, asleep on the couch. The family had celebrated Christmas a little early with presents that Marion had brought home from work. The living room had been left in a chaotic state. The window shades had not been drawn and the front door had been left unlocked when everyone had gone to bed. Well, Jeannie quietly turned the lock on the door, pulled down the shades and pulled Marion's blanket up to her chin. It was chilly in the house that night. Minutes later, Jeannie was back in bed Soon, she dozed off the unusual telephone call, mostly forgotten. Later, she would have no idea about how long she'd been asleep when she was awakened again. Her sleep was broken by a loud thump, followed by what sounded like a ball rolling across the roof and off the side of the house. Whatever it was, she heard it thump on the ground. Years later, the driver of a passing bus reported that he had seen, quote, Balls of fire being tossed on the roof of the solder house that morning. Jeannie thought about waking George, but decided to go back to sleep. But she woke once again a short time later. It wasn't a sound that awakened her. This time, though, it was the smell of smoke. She sprang out of bed and ran into the hallway to try and get to the office telephone, but she saw flames were already burning in that part of the house. The path to the telephone was blocked. She screamed for her husband and ran to wake Marion, who was still sleeping on the couch. She told her to get Sylvia from the bedroom and go out the front door and wait. Jeannie pushed past her and shouted up the stairs for the rest of the children. By now, George was awake and struggling to get into his clothes. He ran outside to the water barrel that stood near the house. John and George Jr., the two oldest solder boys at home, appeared at the top of the stairs and ran down. The fire was roaring along the wall and both received minor burns as they fled from the flames. John had shouted for his younger siblings, or he had gone into the bedrooms to awaken them, according to one of his statements to the police, and thought he'd heard them respond. The boys fled outside where Marion, Sylvia, George, and Jeannie were shivering in the cold. Realizing that the rest of the children were still inside, George tried desperately to get them out of the house but the front rooms and the staircase were now engulfed in flames. The water barrel had been frozen solid, so George used it as a step to try and climb up the side of the house, but he quickly fell. So he smashed a window, badly slicing his hand and his arm, but the fire was too hot, preventing him from getting inside. George frantically called toward the upper floor of the house, pleading with his children to come to the window. He then remembered the ladder that he kept at the side of the house and ran to where it should have been but it was gone. Panicked, he came up with another idea. He would drive one of his trucks up to the house and then climb on top of the cab so he could reach the upper windows. He ran to the nearest truck, climbed into the cab and cranked the engine. It wouldn't start. He jumped down and ran to his other truck. He tried to start this one too, but the motor wouldn't turn over. Both trucks had worked perfectly the day before. While George was struggling with the trucks, Marion had handed Sylvia to her mother and run to a neighbor's house to call the fire department. She pounded on the door until a light appeared in the window. She quickly explained what was happening and begged to use the telephone. The front door quickly opened and the young woman rushed inside. Mary clicked the receiver, but no operator answered to put the call through. It was a shared party line and no one was on duty during the early morning hours of Christmas day. Around 1 a.m., another neighbor spotted the fire and ran to a local tavern to call for help. He was also unable to get an operator on the line, so he drove two miles into Fayetteville, West Virginia, to wake up the fire chief, F.J. Morris. And then came the next delay. Morris had to find firefighters to help with the blaze because he was unable to drive the fire truck. At the solder home, the fire continued to burn unchecked, while the family and a scattering of friends and neighbors crowded around. Later, everyone who was there that morning agreed that they never saw a child's face in an upstairs window, and they never heard a cry for help. The house burned. The onlookers saw the lights in the house go out and saw the Christmas tree lights in the window flicker and then go dark. It took only 30 minutes for the solder house to be turned into a pile, of smoldering brick and wood. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to the final episode of our current season, Gone, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. You already know what we've done this season. We've opened the files of the missing and the lost and introduced you to a collection of mysterious stories in which the central character is simply gone, never to return. This is the last episode of the season, episode 24, And we'll leave you with a holiday mystery from 1945 that has never been solved. Of all the stories that we feature during this season of the podcast, this one may be one of the strangest. It's a story of holiday heartbreak and tragedy of five children who went missing from their West Virginia home on a cold December night. Or is it? The only thing we know for sure about the night of December 25th, 1945 is that a mysterious fire broke out in the home of George and Jeannie Sauter and burned the house to the ground. Five of their children had been in the house before the fire began, and yet somehow their remains weren't found in the ruins of the house once the blaze was finally put out. The authorities insisted that the children had died, and yet somehow all five children were later spotted in various places, Creating a baffling and complex real life mystery that's become more mysterious than anything that could be found in fiction. What happened to the solder children? Did they die in the fire or were they kidnapped that night for reasons that have never been explained? And if they were, why has no trace of them ever been found? It was the holiday season for the folks who lived in the country near Fayetteville, West Virginia. A light snow had fallen, making it a white Christmas, and all seemed right with the world. George Sauter Sr. and his wife Jeannie were the proud parents of 10 children and lived in a newly built home just outside of town. George, a 50 year old Italian immigrant, had recently started the Dempsey Transfer Company, a coal trucking firm that he ran from an office in his home. It was already prospering. He owned two trucks, and two of his sons worked for him. Another solder son, Joe, was in the army, but because World War II had ended several months earlier, he was out of danger. The rest of the children were at home with their parents, celebrating the season with gifts, food, and family. Life was good for the Sodders, and the new year promised to be even better. As was their tradition, the solder children opened their presents on Christmas Eve. Among the gifts for the younger children were toys that had been purchased by Marion from her job at a dime store in Fayetteville. George went to bed early that night, and so did the older boys, John, who was 23, and George Jr., who was 16. They both worked for their father in the coal hauling business. The other children, Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 10, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 6, all said they were too excited to sleep but finally went to bed around 10 p.m. The upper floor of the solder house was divided into two large rooms, one for the boys and the other for the girls. Jeannie went to bed soon after the children did, taking two-year-old Sylvia into the bedroom she shared with her husband. She was looking forward to a good night's sleep before the holiday festivities of the next day. But Jeannie didn't get a good night's sleep, not that night or for any night for the rest of her life. Jeannie was roused from her sleep three times, by the ringing telephone, the unusual sound on the roof, and finally, by the fire. In the confusion, half of the family made it out of the house, but five of the children sleeping upstairs never came out. George tried to get into the burning house, but the stairs were engulfed in flames. He searched for the ladder to reach the upper floor, but it had vanished. The Sodders later found it 75 feet from the house, where it had been tossed down an embankment. The cold trucks, each of which had run perfectly on Christmas Eve, refused to start. Attempts to call the fire department failed, but eventually, Fayetteville Fire Chief F.J. Morris was tracked down, but even after that, the fire department didn't arrive into their home until 8 a.m., seven hours after the blaze began. The delay was explained by the department's lack of manpower caused by the war, and by the chief's inability to drive Fayetteville's fire truck. Chief Morris had to wait until he could find a qualified driver, and Fayetteville didn't have a fire alarm in 1945, so they had to rely on a phone tree. An operator would call one firefighter, then another, then another. But with no operators apparently on duty, the calls took hours to complete. You couldn't direct dial in rural areas back then. An operator was required to connect calls manually, and since it was Christmas, everyone had the night off. By the time firefighters did arrive, the solder home had been reduced to a crumble of ruins over a smoking, ash-filled basement. There was little for the firefighters to do other than to hose down the few smoldering embers that remained in the debris. A brief search of the ruins ended at 10 a.m. on Christmas Day with Chief Morris telling the Sodders that no trace of the children could be found. He suggested the fire had been hot enough to cremate their remains completely and suggested that they keep some of the ashes to create a memorial for the lost children. It was the only helpful suggestion he made that day, and the Sodders weren't interested in hearing it. The fire department and the police officials left saying they would return for a more thorough investigation of the site. Well, later that day, Jeannie, Marion, and Sylvia, who'd been staying with Jeannie's sister, returned home, and the family set up a makeshift apartment in an outbuilding on the farm. The Red Cross and members of the local board of education visited them offering food and any assistance the solders needed. Meanwhile, the official investigation was just getting started. A quick coroner's inquest was held, and the six-man jury took little time to decide that the fire was caused by faulty wiring. A report from the state police agreed. How state trooper Effie Springer, who wrote the report, or the coroner's jury for that matter, came to this conclusion is unknown, since there was absolutely no evidence found to say there was anything wrong with the wiring in their brand new home. The state police report also stated it was their belief that the fall of the house's two chimneys would have had enough heat and weight to destroy any bodies inside. Well, this would be the first of many explanations about why no human remains were found after the fire. There would also be rumors spread that George had stored significant quantities of oil and gasoline in the basement, something that George would always deny, and again, there was no evidence of. But even if he had done this, it still wouldn't explain the missing bodies. What we know today that wasn't known in 1945 is that the fire, which leveled the Sauter home in about half an hour, never reached the temperature required for the total cremation of human remains. That would have taken two to three hours and would have required a temperature of 1,400 to 1,800 degrees. In fact, various household appliances found in the burned-out basement were still recognizable. They wouldn't have been if the temperatures had reached the necessary levels for cremation. But George and Jeannie didn't have that information. They were heartbroken, believing the jury's verdict that their five children had died in the fire. George couldn't stand to look out the window of the outbuilding where they were living and see the hole where his house used to be and where he believed the ashes of his children remained. So on December 29th, he obtained a bulldozer and covered the basement with five feet of dirt, explaining that he planned to plant flowers and preserve the site as a memorial for the children. On December 30th, death certificates were issued for the five children. As far as the authorities were concerned, the case was now officially closed. But was it really? Well, that's the real question here because there were strange things happening to the Sauter family before and after the fire that make even the most skeptical among us take notice. There was something very unusual happening. But what it may have been, no one can or is willing to say. The weird events began in late 1945. Jeannie and some of the children had noticed a strange man parked on the road near the house every day around the time that the children returned home from school. He didn't get out of his car or approach the children in any way. He simply sat and watched them walking home. Well, Jeannie started to get a little concerned, but before she could confront him, he was gone and he didn't return. Another day, a man approached George in the yard asking about possible work around the farm or with George's trucking company. George didn't have anything to offer the man, but as the stranger was turning to leave, he pointed out a new exterior fuse box that had been recently upgraded for an electric oven the family had installed. He warned George that the new fuse box could, quote, cause a fire someday. In October 1945, George turned down an insurance policy that had been offered to him by a local salesman. Well, the man flew into a rage and warned him that his house would, quote, go up in smoke and his children would be killed thanks to dirty remarks that George had made about Benito Mussolini, Italy's fascist dictator who'd been killed in April of 1945. Like most of the immigrants who fled Italy after the rise of the fascist government before the war, George certainly disliked Mussolini and probably had some disparaging things to say about him. Well, apparently the insurance man didn't share his opinions. But interestingly, that same insurance salesman was a member of the coroner's jury that decided that the fire at the solder house was accidental. A newspaper report also stated that just before the holiday season, a woman and three men had shown up at the solder house and asked Jeannie if they could quote, see their babies. The newspaper didn't make a note of Jeannie's reaction, but I'm willing to guess she closed the door in their faces. Then on the night of the fire, while the house was still burning, a man was spotted breaking into the Sauter's garage and stealing an auto block and tackle. The man, identified in the newspapers as Johnson, was later tracked down and arrested. Strangely though, he was never investigated for any possible involvement with the fire itself. When a telephone repairman came to the Sauter home site to install service to the outbuilding where the family was living, He told them that the original telephone line that had been running to the house hadn't failed because of the fire and it hadn't burned through. He said it had been cut at a point that was 14 feet off the ground and two feet from the utility pole. This meant that it had been cut between the time of the laughing lady's call on Christmas Eve and the start of the fire. Later, Johnson, the burglar who stole the auto equipment, confessed that he had cut the telephone wire, allegedly mistaking it for the electrical line. To do it, though, he would have needed a ladder to make the cut, which might explain why the solder's ladder was not found in its usual spot next to the house. But why would he cut the electrical line to the house so he could steal tools from the garage? Well, this makes no sense unless he or someone else wanted the lights to be out in the house for some reason. What Johnson was really doing that night is just another of the unanswered questions in the case, and there turned out to be a lot more. The inquest verdict that the fire had started because of a faulty wiring made George and Jeannie question the things they'd seen on Christmas morning. Based on the jury's findings, the electricity in the house should have gone out immediately. But the Sodders, as well as their neighbors, remembered the lights being on while the house was burning. They'd seen the Christmas lights in the window, and they were on long after the blaze had started. They had serious doubts about the official version of events, but before they could go to the authorities, they decided to do some investigating on their own. Jeannie put chicken and pig bones in a metal container and set the whole thing on fire. After burning for a few minutes, the fire went out, leaving scorched but intact bones behind. She also read a newspaper article about a nearby house fire. The house had also burned completely to the ground. Seven people had been trapped inside, and after the fire, all seven bodies were easily identifiable. The Sodders also learned about the late-night bus driver who reported seeing unknown persons throwing balls of fire onto the roof of their house. In March of 1946, Sylvia Sauter found a green, hard rubber object near the ruins, which some believed was some sort of firebomb. The Sauters later claimed that the house had burned from the roof downward rather than from the ground floor up, but no evidence remained to prove their story. However, the idea of firebombs being thrown onto the roof might explain the strange noises that Jeannie heard when she was awakened a short time before the fire started. George and Jeannie had now started to believe that the children had somehow been removed from their house before the fire. But how? If the children had seen a stranger, surely they would have called out. How could kidnappers have not disturbed John and George Jr. who shared a room with two of the missing children? And how could strangers have gotten the children out of the house without anyone noticing? Well, despite these questions, they took their suspicions to the authorities who had no interest in reopening the case. The Sodders were told they needed to accept the jury's findings of death by accident. It was a tragedy, they were told, but their children were dead and they needed to move on. But George and Jeannie weren't going to just move on. They refused to go along with the official conclusion and hired two detectives, CeCe Tensley and George Swain, to conduct an investigation of their own. The detectives went to work, not only trying to run down information about the children, but also trying to discover if someone had hard feelings against the Sodders. Possible enemies might have caused the fire or kidnapped the children, but who hated them enough to do those things? Well, things would soon become even more confusing and convoluted. But before that, the sightings began. The first came from the manager of a motel that was located halfway between Fayetteville and Charleston, West Virginia. He claimed that he saw the five solder children there on Christmas Day. A resident of Charleston later said that he saw four of the children, Martha, Louis, Jenny, and Betty, with four unknown adults about one week after the fire. The adults spoke Italian, and they were never identified, and there'd be more to come. In 1947, a church minister from Fayetteville named James F. Frame told the Sodders a strange story. While Fire Chief Morris had stated that no remains were found at the fire scene in 1945, Morris privately claimed to have found a heart in the ashes, which he placed in an empty dynamite box and buried at the scene without reporting the discovery. The clergyman said that Morris did it in secret because he didn't want to make the Sauter family more upset. He said that he'd hoped they would find the organ in the ruins of the house and call off their private investigation. Well, George and Jeannie eventually persuaded Chief Morris to show them where he'd buried the box. They dug up the box, took it straight to the funeral home, and asked the director to open the box and examine it. When he opened it, he found what looked like a decayed beef liver inside. It was untouched by the fire, meaning it had been placed there after the blaze. a few days later, Detective C.C. Tinsley went to the funeral home to retrieve the liver and get an official statement about the mystery organ, but it had disappeared. The undertaker said that since they didn't have cold storage equipment on the premises, he'd just left the liver sitting on the back porch until Tinsley could get there to claim it. And he shrugged and, suggested maybe somebody had thrown it out with the trash. Okay, so wh- what is going on with the buried liver? Chief Morris's actions make no sense. If he'd wanted the solders to find the liver and put their minds at rest, as he claimed, how did he think they would find it locked in a box and buried under several feet of dirt? And wouldn't the fact that it was in a box indicate that someone had purposely placed it there? Even the fire marshal stated that there was no clear reason for Morris's peculiar actions. This led the newspaper that covered the story to say that it was obvious the case had not been investigated thoroughly enough and that more should be done. But even so, the authorities still weren't interested. They again urged the Sodders to move on with their lives. But George and Jeannie refused to give up. They sent letters to the FBI trying to get them involved with the investigation. The Bureau declined, saying they considered the matter related to appear to be of local character and doesn't come within the investigative jurisdiction of the Bureau. Now, the FBI did eventually investigate the case, though, as a possible kidnapping, but they found no new leads. In August 1949, the Sauters managed to convince Washington, D.C. pathologist Oscar B. Hunter to do a thorough search through the dirt and ashes left at the site. The local fire marshal, protested. He said the place where the house had stood had been searched enough. There were no new clues to find, but the search went ahead anyway and added more confusion to the case. In the middle of the search, four spinal vertebrae bones were found. State authorities refused to examine them, so Detective Tensley sent them to the Smithsonian Institution, and experts there determined that the bones belonged to a male between the ages of 19 and 22 an age range that didn't match any of the missing children. Published reports stated that Tensley later traced the bones to a cemetery in Mount Hope, West Virginia, but no explanation was available concerning their theft from an unidentified grave or how they managed to end up at the Sauter fire scene. Of course, that's just another of the lingering mysteries in this story. Despite the evidence that the vertebrae did not belong to any of the missing children, private investigator George Swain formally left the case. He issued a statement that he considered the case to be closed and his agency would not be, quote, taking part in pursuing the matter further. Well, the Sodders quickly replaced him with Troy C. Simmons of the West Virginia Merchant Police. He brought a new enthusiasm to the investigation, saying he believed the children were killed in a grudge murder, hinting at organized crime, you know, because the Sodders were Italian. Oh, boy. He was sure they were dead and that the five missing children never left the county. He and his men planned to search abandoned wells and coal mines in the area and also added that he felt confident that arrests would be made in the next few days. But no arrests were ever made. While Simmons was searching coal mines in the region, the Sodders used the Smithsonian report to interest the FBI in their case. In 1950, the Bureau opened a file on the Sauter children as a possible interstate kidnapping. They pursued the case for two years, but with no results. Around that same time, the West Virginia State Police also looked into the case, but with the same amount of success, or I guess you'd say lack of it. The search led nowhere, but the family clung to hope. They ran newspaper ads and promised rewards, and then in 1952, they purchased a billboard near Anstead, West Virginia, that displayed photographs of the missing children, with a $5,000 reward for information, leading to their whereabouts. The text of the billboard read, On Christmas Eve 1945, our home was set afire, and five of our children, ages 5 through 14, were kidnapped. The officials blamed defective wiring, although lights were still burning after the fire started. The official report stated that the children had died in the fire. However, no bones were found in the residue, and there was no smell of burning flesh during or after the fire. What was the motive of the law officers involved? What did they have to gain by making us suffer all these years of injustice? Why did they lie and force us to accept those lies? The billboard was a visible manifestation of the lingering hope that the missing soldered children would someday return home. Sadly, though, it generated no useful tips. It did, however, generate a lot of speculation. Rumors were constantly spread and included lurid stories of Italian fascists, mafia gunmen, and orphanages who snatched children and sold them to childless couples. George and Jeannie continued to be frustrated by the authorities who still refused to open the investigation again. Years passed, but they didn't give up. They sent photographs of the five children to every possible resource, and this continued to start new rumors, create vague new stories, and bring in a lot of alleged sightings from all over the country. I mean, a woman in Charleston reported seeing all the children once, and then Lewis by himself a year later both times in the company of unknown adults. An anonymous letter writer claimed the children were living in Florida. The Sodders traveled there, but school records and birth certificates proved that none of the children in Florida were the missing children. Another letter claimed that Martha was living in a convent in St. Louis. Someone in Texas claimed to have overheard men talking about a fire that happened in West Virginia on Christmas Eve. A letter sent to a local sheriff in Santa Cruz County in California claimed the missing children were living in the town of Davenport. They weren't. Once, George saw a newspaper photo of young students at a New York Children's Aid Society ballet school and insisted that one of the girls in the photo was his daughter, Betty. He drove to Manhattan in search of the child, but her parents refused to let him see her. Unable to come up with a plan to get another look at her, he drove home disappointed. In 1966, a woman in Texas contacted the Sodders to say that she'd overheard a conversation between two men, one of whom identified himself as Maurice Sodder. George traveled to Texas. By the time he got there, though, the man was gone. The most promising lead in nearly two decades came in 1967, when Jeannie received an anonymous envelope through the mail. It was postmarked in Central City, Kentucky. And contained the photograph of a young man about the age her son Louis would have been. Written on the back was a cryptic message Louis Sauter, I love brother Frankie, I L I L boys, A 90132 or 35. While George and Jeannie were convinced the photo was an older-looking likeness of their missing son, they couldn't interpret the cryptic message on the back or trace the sender of the photograph. They rushed the photo and envelope to the West Virginia Attorney General's office, convinced this would reopen the investigation, but officials there were not convinced of the photo's authenticity. Frustrated but not defeated, they hired a new private detective to go to Central City and find out what he could. He took their money... And was never heard from again. Heartbroken once more, George and Jeannie had the photograph enlarged and framed, and placed it on their fireplace mantel with photographs of their other children. They were sure it was Lewis. They even had the new photograph added to the billboard with new text that read, "Picture number six, received in 1967. Lewis, one and the same, now in another state." But was it really Lewis, or was it a mistake, or worse, a cruel hoax, played on a family that was still grieving more than 20 years after their children disappeared? Well, that's the thing. The Sauters would never know. George Sauter died in 1969, still hoping for a break in the case. Jeannie put up a fence around their property, and she rarely left home. George's obituary stated he was survived by his wife and five remaining children. No mention was made of Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny, or Betty. In 1984, Jeannie asked her son John to paint over the text on the billboard that promised a reward. She no longer had the money to pay it if someone should eventually claim it when the children returned home. She died five years later, still convinced her children were out there somewhere. The billboard in Anstead remained in place until her death, and then it was finally taken down. Today, the youngest surviving family member, Sylvia Sauter Paxton, keeps the family's haunting story alive with help from her daughter, still pursuing leads on the Internet or wherever information might come from. Law enforcement officials still continue to refuse to reopen the case. They maintain that the solder home burned down in 1945 because of faulty wiring, killing the five children who were trapped inside. Case closed. After digging into this story for years, I'd have to say that whatever happened, that wasn't all there was to it. I admit I don't know what occurred that night, but I agree with just about everyone else who has heard the story of the solder children and think that this story is a lot more complicated than the authorities will ever be willing to admit.
1: Thanks for returning for more episodes of the American Hauntings podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. This is season seven of the podcast, which we call—and I don't even know if you're going to do this—home. Oh shit! No, that's oh. wrong.
0: Wrong season. Um, this one's gone. Gone. Sorry about that. Sorry. So just just forget that. Forget here? that I
1: said that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. I'm your co-host Cody Beck, yeah, and, sorry. and and I have not heard anything about the next no, season yet. So we are all on the same page as far as spoiler <laughs> alerts. Um, with me is my co-host, um, author, historian, uh, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings. And apparently, what do you call somebody that spoils stuff? I don't know. Um,
0: spoiler? I don't yeah, know. spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I
1: Troy think Taylor. Fair.
0: Yeah, I guess. What so. the hell? Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about something else. I guess. Troy. Yes. I know. We I know. Well, and it's the last, it's the last episode of the season. It so, is. It's the last. And I, I got carried away.
1: I hope it's the last episode of the entire podcast, but it won't be. because is like, not. Everybody loves us so much. No,
0: it is not. It, it is not. not. I, so Cody, yeah, uh, uh, he's trying really hard to, to shut this thing down, but we're, I'm not going to let him know. He's really not, but um, he's just a little under the weather. So we, I've got him, uh, I've got him so here hard. and I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to to drag him through this episode. I, so know, I know I may I, be I, doing I, some I, of the heavy list, lifting here. Um rather heavy than asking well that too mm-hmm. having you ask me the questions I may just be telling you the answers before you even get to the questions. <laughs> but everybody will be fine. It's the last one of the season. So, <laughs> so um no uh, so with that in mind in case yes. I don't get a chance until we come back uh for the next season uh I should probably mention that um uh, we do have our winter events posted up on the dinnerandspirits.com website. Uh, you'll find uh, the dinners and the winter tours that I've got coming up. Um, some of them, unfortunately, have sold out already, but we are. Unfortunately? Well, I mean, that's good. For good for me,
1: bad for people <laughs> bad to, for them. to
0: attend um, ones in January because they're starting to fill up. But, you know, hey, the Donner Party dinner is still open. So I'm oh, um, so uh, where you can be on the menu. But um, <clears throat> anyway, and I've got some new ones, too. Um, and also we we got to mention Dead of Winter. Um, some of the after hour events uh, have already sold out or are getting close. Uh, the VIP things with the reserved seating and T-shirts
1: and all that stuff included. Um, are, are, one of, are there any we, dead of dead of winter events that you are running that are still open?
0: Yes. Um, okay. Well, the the VIP thing we've got like I two or four spots left for those. That's it. Last tickets. Um, but the dinner on Friday night, the ghosts and gangsters dinner, kind of the theme with you know the St. Valentine's Day massacre. <laughs> oh, right, right, kinda, right. That is um, that is uh, two thirds full, so it's still got some space. Unfortunately, the 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 dinner tour I'm doing on Saturday night after things are over that's sold out already. Uh, wow. But we still do have um, the 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 Sisterhood of Magic is now rebranded to the Appalachian uh, Appalachian witches. There you go. I got all the two words confused there. Yeah. Um And we still have uh, availability for the ghost hunt that night too. Uh, but they're all filling up. So people, if you're planning on coming to dead of winter and uh, you've been stocking up your canned goods and stuff, uh, if you want to do any of these after hour things, you, you got to get on it because the time is almost up for that.
1: Just bring um, us so, bring us a can of green beans. Just throw yeah, it as far yeah, as, as you can and, yeah. and we, we will anything. accept you. Yeah, we'll get it going. We'll so, break two tables this year. Yeah.
0: Well, we've got, you know, we we have had more stuff than we've ever had before. Plus, we've got some guys in Springfield, uh, the uh Springfield, Illinois Ghostbusters. I don't okay, know. If t- no, knows no, that. Don't tell me about no, this. it's a guy they do uh like cosplay ghostbuster stuff. So <gasps> they're gonna be what?
1: there. Yeah,
0: and they're gonna be picking up any canned goods for anybody who can't make it who's in Springfield, Illinois. They can Aww. drop stuff off at high V. And they're going to bring it down with them on the day of. The that event. is amazing. Are they going to have yeah. like, the
1: backpacks and the whole Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Thing? They got the
0: whole bit. They got the whole cosplay costumes. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So, and they're they're talking about, they're hoping they can bring their Ghostbuster mobile. I don't think it's like a, you know, a classic ambulance or sure, know, like sure original, sure. but it's apparently decked out. So we'll see. I uh, but I know they're going to be there with all the stuff. I hope they bring so everything. That's amazing. Yeah, I do too. It should be fun. So that's the coolest yeah, thing in the world. I just got that added up today. So anyway, keep an eye out for that stuff, and uh, we'll, um, you know, we'll we we've got some things coming, and we'll have another season coming uh, later on. We'll make announcements on you know when the trailer is going to be released, details about the season, all that stuff will be coming soon. So just keep an eye on your feed, even if you don't see a lot of new stuff popping in there. Keep an eye on the feed anyway,
1: because we do have stuff coming up. So. True, we're we're kind of wrapping up, right? Like I know at times, it's time's a little weird, especially since of COVID. But it uh, everybody thinks that we only do things in October, which is not true. Well, right. But also, of and and we we kind of don't talk about necessarily when we record episodes, but so we're early December. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take a little bit of a break, but like, what's, what's your plan for like, how, how are things going to progress? Because I feel like it's time is kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, nebulous at this point, you know? Yeah, so like, well, usually, people... usually the plan is to,
0: we, we usually come back in um, mid to late January. So yes, it, it's are. about a month. And honestly, I'm I'm off for about that amount of time too. I've got you're event. not off. Well, I've got an event this coming weekend, and then I won't you have do any stop. more events. I know, but I won't have any more events until right, right, right. mid January. So usually about that time, soon after, we usually uh, come back with our next episodes, and or at least with the trailer. Uh, that you know, like the trailer for this last season was like 40 minutes long. Um, so it and was I don't, so long. I know, but I don't think the trailer for this new season will be quite that long. But it won't be. A three-minute trailer of what's coming, it'll be an introduction to the season. So can, for sure. Can
1: I can I tell them right now too? Like it just and we can cut this out if we have to, but I just want to tell people, even right at this moment, I still don't know now, what the next
0: season is. Because because be. I told you what it was going to be, and then I changed my mind. Yes. As I often do. No. So wait. but I will have I oh am going to be working tomorrow. God. On uh-huh. the detailed outline for the uh-huh. scene, which can change a little, but it's it's mostly there. I
1: I don't, so, want to but move, I will have it to you soon. I don't want to move my computer, but I, I wish I could show people that I have the physical outline for the last mm-hmm. season hanging yeah. on one of my bookshelves right now because yeah. Troy actually the last what two seasons now? Uh, yeah, maybe. It may you, have, a, you have you have two or three. You've pr- uh, two I print three. you a booklet. Yeah. Yes, you print me out like a nice book, and you usually present it to me. Uh-huh. It's kind of fun. Some, a, yeah. no, I love it. I love it yeah, so much. Fun. And then everybody gets to watch my reaction. Also, why we don't record that ever and put not on know. social media is yeah, I have no on idea. me. I, I guess it's more for me and you. But, yeah, I guess. But, um, yeah, so I'm really excited to see what this next season's going to be. Oh, I think you're going to like it.
0: I think everybody's going to like it. In fact, I think our next one has the potential to be our best season yet don't say that don't No, i don't, really don't do. get my hopes up don't get i, my hopes I i'm up. i'm not joking so i i'm dead serious here so you're i'm dead, very dead excited serious. about this next season and our next patreon season too i'm very excited about both of them
1: you so are you're playing like gonna be cool 5d chess okay i okay. know i know all right okay. so we have any listener reviews
0: do you have any on your end? Because I've got
1: texts. Yeah, so. uh, you know what, Troy? Um, normally, I start with a listener review, and then I go, ah, and then you interrupt me. So, yeah. how about let's go to the what are we gonna the the? Okay, I think maybe we've got it. I don't. I don't believe you. I don't believe
0: you. No, out. I think our decision will be made by the time I'm done with these. What so I, I uh, don't believe you. Yep these these this is uh, this is from our text line. Uh-huh. So if you have a comment about the show or a quick question you'd like to have answered on the show. You can either email Cody at the address uh-huh. he always mentions, which is um American podcast at Gmail.com. There you go. Or you can text us at 217-791-7859. I'll I, repeat that back in a moment. But I um, like that you actually got you
1: actually highlighted that in red in I our did. outline too. I, did. I, I do appreciate that because that means that you are taking it seriously and i do love that i do i and i like it i really enjoy it i love to come in and i see know you do that we've got new texts.
0: so okay so here here's here's i got a few so let me run through them uh the first one is from eliza in the 650 she says i love love the both of you you guys are great i love the show but i refuse to listen when it's dark if i do i get nightmares <laughs> a laughing face emoji oh, all gosh. right so this next one is from okay so I'm not sure she since she's going to talk about pronunciation in this. It's kind of funny that I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Uh, it's either Rena or it's Renee because it's spelled R-E-N-A. So it could be either one. But anyway, I'm sorry. I don't you did not offer me a pronunciation guideline. But I mean, it, we, is we from, have to. it is from R-E-N-A in the 618. Hi, Troy and Cody. I love the podcast. I love reading Troy's books because in my head, it's in Troy's voice. I also follow your Patreon Uh and appreciate how many holes you poke into the exaggerated H.H. Holmes mythos. Most of all, as a Southern Illinoisan, I appreciate how you pronounce Mattoon correctly. I skip the podcasts that don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> by the way well i have to i mean i i grew up like an hour from mattoon so no, i, I no. know that one i do I, know that one so i, I
1: love it I, I yeah i love it I, so, yeah i have so many comments keep going
0: yeah by the way i live in i lived in a haunted old elementary school my parents bought and fixed up and i lived in haunted pemberton <gasps> hall at eiu in college what? just too many odd footsteps and doors closing in old buildings i have family from alton benton and heron which all have spooky and tragic stories I've heard on your podcast and elsewhere, and I look forward to hearing more. I also second calling this number the haunt line. All right, now. Karen for the 360 and Matt for the 618. Both of them sent us their Spotify wrapped Wait, okay. for 2023 with American hauntings as their number one show. Oh my gosh. Okay, and Matt okay. was the guy who suggested the haunt line for this uh-huh. number in the first place uh-huh. because Cody wanted it to be a pun. So yeah. he's going to yes. get credit for that if we use it. And honestly, I think maybe that's the way to go.
1: So, okay. Okay.
0: I'm really starting to lean toward the haunt line. I really am. I like that. I like it a lot.
1: I have so many thoughts. Okay. okay.
0: All right. So then I've got one from Kirk from the 336. He Uh says, hey, Troy and Cody love the podcast. i have been a fan of Troy's book since I moved to Illinois in 2010. Uh I recently moved to DeKalb, which is I'm going to then pronounce that for you for the 10th time because you can't (laughs) for whatever reason pronounce that name right. We've done it every time we talk about it. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Anyway. I was interested in learning more obscure Mm -hmm. local history from the area. I was wondering if you had any recommendations of good resources to use. And then he took my recommendations and just, just dumped them aside. This is his thing aside from the local library and the historical society's collections. Well, dude, that's where I was going to send you first. Uh, My other, uh, my other suggestion would be, um, as I always like to recommend newspapers.com because they have such an archive of stuff that's available now that you (laughs) can see on
1: your own computer. You would fucking know, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, if, if let's say your local papers aren't on there, the library will have them. Or the local newspaper wills. A lot of times they offer a search service, but you got to know what you're looking for. So that's kind of a problem. My suggestion would be to try um, newspapers.com, uh, but definitely don't rule out the local library and the historical society because um, that's going to be a good source for stuff. Depending on who works there, who the volunteers are, that that makes a difference. So, anyway, all right. So this one is from Deb and the nine one two. She said, I enjoy you all so much. I drove around Alton one morning last June as I was driving through a beautiful town. Oh. I just listened. We won't take credit for that. I was,
1: that's a lie. But
0: yeah. But- I just listened to the story about Jody. I wonder if the State Bureau of Investigation got involved since law enforcement officials were implicated. Well, the answer to that is yes and no, not really. Yes, they did get involved um, because everybody was involved in that case at one time or another, but they didn't get involved because of law enforcement officials because none of that okay. was ever really followed up on because that um, that claim was said to be somewhat uh, suspicious. Um, is kind of a revenge thing because she had been um, suing the department at the time and then the suit had been dismissed. She'd been fired. And then so it's thought that that was just kind of retaliation. But the idea also got picked up, though, by locals because any chance that people have to hate the cops, uh, they'll take it. And um, so a lot of people have kind of kept that alive. But I I really don't think there's any truth to it. Um, Some of the stuff they claimed Hmm. even got you know, uh, proven to be not true, uh, like the guy that we, you know, they said it was, you know, body was buried under his machine shed and he didn't even live there when Jody disappeared. Right, so, right, right. Anyway, so um, she has a little bit more here. Hypothetically, Swanson, and she's talking about Brandon Swanson, the the kid from the, uh, the other yeah. episode, uh, may have been dropping off someone who could have caused a controversy in a small community. A classmate, a teacher, an adulterous or underage relationship, and if discovered, could wreak havoc in his life, which kind of that makes sense. That's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Uh, he may have been flustered on the phone with his parents, thinking that his secret was going to be discovered. She said, but I do agree with you. The river probably was his demise. Um, in the same episode, we also talked about Sharon Pretorius, too, and she had a comment about that. She said, I wonder if her older brother was a suspect all the awful possibilities. You know, the mom would logically protect her son to prevent him from going to prison if he'd done anything. So, you know, wh- with the idea of why lose another child. um, is a thought. I, I don't know that anything ever was pursued by that. Uh, whether or not he had an alibi, I, I don't know. I never saw anything about that being questioned about a brother, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Uh, I'll probably be digging a little bit more into that story uh, when I'm working on the the second without a trace book. So which I'll be working on that very soon. So <laughs> can I ask a um, question yeah. here real quick? Yeah,
1: of course. So I'm I'm thinking now um how much of okay so we so you obviously have a bajillion books going on all the time and you have like sequels <laughs> and everything like that. But how how often does it happen that we get a listener review or comment or question that actually makes you then be so intrigued to go back. Well, yeah, and that's, research more.
0: Well, that's this. That's this. Um, this season,
1: it's yeah. been like that.
0: Yeah, all the comments and things that we've gotten from people, not even just about some of the episodes, but about new stories that we didn't cover. You know, because I ask everybody, hey, if you've got something we didn't cover, let us know. And people have. I mean, I've gotten a lot of stuff. I've got stuff directly emailed to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had messages sent to me on on uh, Twitter. Uh, I've had, um, stuff sent to me on the hotline or whatever we're going to call it. If it's the hotline, <laughs> the, the text line, I do too. Yeah, I do too. Line. So, um, so yeah, I've had a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff and a lot of good ideas. And it's, uh, it really, it, I had no intention of doing a sequel to that book. That was yeah, not yeah. even on my radar. Um, so I, I can't even say I moved a book from the back burner to the front burner because, um, it wasn't even on the back burner. I, you know, I didn't even have the, uh, uh, the the ingredients for the recipe at that point but now i do <laughs> okay, and now i've okay. been putting it together so uh so yeah it's going to be a it's going to be a fun one to uh, do a sequel to that's
1: interesting cuz i mean I, you know a lot of the reason i wanted to start this podcast in the the first place was i wanted to learn more but i also wanted to help kind of uh, you know like push not push some of your products but like get people out there that were interested oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, I know in these sort of things and so it's really interesting to me to see when you then get excited about yeah like, well or, or i mean i think we've, I think we've built
0: a community of a lot of really nice people yeah and who've gotten interested in the show and got interested in, in what we're doing and i think that um it, it just kind of becomes a collaborative effort sometimes with some of this stuff so uh-huh. yeah it's 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 been really interesting and um you know i'm i'm looking forward to seeing you know where it goes so
1: I anyway, love it. I'm All right. I'm well, you want to so
0: jump so. into this episode and get this rolling before
1: you're still sitting upright. So. I do. And so, okay. yeah. So and like as Troy kind of mentioned earlier, this is going to be a little bit different. Um Basically, my notes are uh, Janine, Jeannie Soder.
0: <laughs> yeah, Jeannie.
1: Uh-huh. Woken from her sleep.
0: That's as and far that's as, it. That's yeah. as far that's a, as I've gone.
1: That's what. That's what, what I wondered. So. so, Troy, can you can you walk <laughs> me through this? I, I, yes. I read about someone talking to her on the phone, a woman's voice, and I'm like, I, I was like, am I dreaming? Is this what the? Yeah. Walk me.
0: Well, walk actually, me through. Well, actually, well, here's the thing. You can when you're finished with this episode, you can still say, "What the hell is going on?" Because okay. there is nothing those. about this. It is one of those. Because. Um, to be completely honest with you, there's no guarantee this is even a missing persons case because officially it is not. But
1: how, but, how do you not know if somebody's missing?
0: Well, we'll get to that. So, okay. all right. So this is our this is our um, as as I as stressed with the the the. The, the gloomy Christmas music. This is our holiday <laughs> yes, yes, episode. Yes, yes. I always try to do something, um, you know, holidayish at the end that, of the season as we get kind of close. Yeah. Yeah. And um, this was kind of it because it takes place uh, on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve into Christmas morning. And it involves the, the Sodder family who lived in West Virginia, uh, this Italian family, a big group, big fake family, Catholics, of course, you know. You know, 1940s. Oh, look, no at, look, control. At, look at my yeah. nose. I know. I know. But but yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I'm saying. So, um, so you got a lot of kids here. And um, but Jeannie is asleep. Her husband um runs his own business. They're they're doing pretty well, pretty good at business running. Uh, he's got an office in uh, in the house, and that's their only telephone. Again, not uncommon for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, also not uncommon that it's a party line. So, you had a bunch of people who I didn't know if anybody even knew what a party line was. I, Uh, but I tried to, yeah. yeah. I I mean, it was something that happened in rural communities a lot back in the day. Can
1: you explain to me though, like, like, could you seriously just pick up the phone and be listen on to other people's else's? conversation? Absolutely, yeah. So that, that's really yeah. how, it yeah. Works. There
0: might be like five families using the same line, and uh, like if you had an emergency, you might call up and go, Hey, I, I gotta call an ambulance, and then those people would people hang, up, hang up, up and you would get the operator to put you through. That's wow. exactly how it worked, yeah. It was, um, not exactly great for privacy, as you might so, imagine. So
1: were phone calls just not that? prominent, I guess. No, I mean, I think that 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 they
0: became so, they became more prominent, but you know, it wasn't like everybody didn't feel like they had to have one at the time. I mean, it's 1945 here and um, not everybody felt they needed a phone. And in rural communities, they just couldn't string enough lines, right? For everybody. You, you, so, you've, been alive,
1: you've been alive for twenty years at that point, and so yeah, right, um, exactly. Yeah. But, so but, we, so, you
0: know, we just didn't always have phones in nineteen forty-five, and but, but, you know, so, when you
1: lived out in the country like I did, we had park lines, and that's <laughs> Troy, the way it worked. Troy, I have to, I have to ask them. Like, um, it, I, I know we're obviously being facetious and making jokes stuff, but like, um, how long do you think during the day? How long do you think? Uh, uh, unless you're working maybe how long do you think it is in between you at least acknowledging your phone because i'll tell you right now for me it's 15 minutes at the most
0: um it depends i i mean it's usually on my desk because if i'm doing something i don't have to concentrate on i'm probably listening to a podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. so if somebody texts not me, ours. um not ours no I, no I a good a good, ours, but um, if I hear, uh, you know, a text come in or something, I might see who it is, uh, but I may mean, not get back to it right away. It just depends on who it is that's texting. Um, like, if it's you, I go, God, <laughs> and right. then I just don't even bother, <laughs> exactly. you know, yeah. I'll Take get back to it a day, day or later. so, whatever, yeah. you know, but. Um, yeah, so it, it just depends. So I think things were just different back then, you know of course, um, of course phone calls weren't really essential. I mean, they didn't have one for their home. It was the office was in the house, but the office or the phone was in the office. So when Jeannie woke up, because the phone was ringing, it was coming from the office. And she went down and Uh answered it because, you know, if it had been an emergency of some kind, because remember, they'd had a kid that was in the military, you know, not all the kids lived at home. So if it'd been an emergency, she would have wanted to answer it. And who else calls at that time of night, except an emergency? Uh-huh. except she gets, you know, a wrong number call. She gets uh, a, a dead open call of people laughing. What sounds like a party going on. And it's just, woman. it's odd. It's just odd. And honestly, if, if none of the rest of these things would have happened after that, I'm sure she would have never even remembered this. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just not, this is such an innocuous thing, but then she woke up later because she thought she heard something thumping on the roof. Um, and then the next thing, you know, the house is on fire. So, I mean, I'm not going to walk through this entire thing, no, you know, no, every just, step of the way, but yeah. Um, but you know, it um this fire broke out. Um and, you know, it it burned the house down. They managed to get uh, most of the kids got out of the house. Um, you know, the 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 ones who, you know, had been there uh were all upstairs. They got a couple of the kids out of the house, the little ones, you know, the little one was out. I mean, you know, I mean, the ones that were right there, they got out of the house. The other ones that were upstairs even though you know Ugh. one of the brother the brothers got out, but yet some of the kids didn't. Yeah. They just disappeared. Five of them were still in the house. Well, the house caught on fire. Um, what 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 I wanted to and I, and I do mention it, but when I think about this this fire, I always picture in my mind them standing outside watching the house burn, and seeing and seeing the Christmas tree with its lights still on in the window. Oh, my gosh. And it's right. watching all the lights in the house going out one at a time. And then just that Christmas tree still on. And then it goes out, too. And so, that I mean, I think that you could make a movie out of this.
1: Oh, oh I mean, you have made movies out of that. And, and yeah. I think, well, I,
0: I, I, I mean, this particular story is so weird that, you know, um, I just it's so bizarre. I mean, the the whole thing is so weird. I mean, it's weird. The firemen come. Well, first, I mean, first there's this comedy of errors, or it would have been a comedy, more of a tragedy of errors. But you know, they they, yeah, they can't yes, thank you. Thank they you. can't get to the window because the ladder's gone. Uh-huh. Uh, the trucks don't start, even though they were fine the day before on Christmas Eve. Trucks ran fine, won't start Christmas morning. Not that cold. No logical reason why. Telephone wires been cut, so they can't. Doesn't matter anyways, they can't get the house to call anybody. Uh, they try to go call someone. They can't. Finally, somebody runs to a local tavern to use a phone. Calls the fire department. Has to you know wake up the fire chief, uh, who can't drive the truck. I've I, seen I, I this don't, movie. I've seen I know, this right? Movie. He can't drive the truck, so he's trying to find somebody who can. Nobody's answering their phones because all the operators are not on duty uh-huh. because it's Christmas, oh, right? And right. so when they finally do get a hold of somebody, by then the fire's out. By the time the firefighters get there, it's just smoldering ruins. And then they stand there and go, eh, looks like an electrical fire to me and laugh. That's pretty much it. Can, you know, can, and
1: can, can, can you tell I, I know you're not, you are not on a tangent, you're excited. But can I can I pause and, and yeah, rewind yeah, yeah. it a little bit? So, OK. How do phones work back then? And you're talking what do you mean about how do phones work? You're the
0: same about, way they work now. <laughs> You You're dial t- a number. Well, no, not then. You had to get an operator, and they had to connect you. I'm
1: I'm thinking I have four alarms set, and sometimes they don't wake me up. So I'm thinking back then I have to get up. I grab a, 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 a rotary phone or and then I have to go yes. operator. How, yes. How,
0: okay. So if you ever see order of operations. All right. So have you ever seen the Andy Griffith show? Of course. I, yes, okay. Absolutely. So you know how? Nuts. Okay, but you know how when they pick up the phone. Yes. and they say hey Sarah can you connect me to the courthouse yes that's how phones worked
1: okay so so there's an emergency how yeah. long how well, long does it take to get to someone that can actually help when you're well because right now I can be like 911 help me how yeah. long does it take back okay this? so well
0: if there you don't usually was an operator on duty but not in small rural communities on Christmas. Uh-huh, Christmas. I mean, it, that wasn't any conspiracy with the operators. Sure. Now, some of the rest of this stuff, who the hell knows? But the operator was not. That's just how it was. Nobody, they didn't think anybody was going to need a call. Nobody thought about emergencies. 1945, we are still at the end of, we just finished a uh, uh, goddamn war to end all wars. It's WW2, and So yeah. nothing's going to seem that bad at uh-huh. this point. There right. aren't any emergencies worse than Pearl Harbor being bombed or whatever. Right. So they just figured that they don't need to worry about it. It's Christmas. People need a night off. And so nobody was working in the middle of the night on Christmas. And normally I'm sure that there was a good reason for that. Normally there probably weren't any calls this time there was, they picked up the line. They tried to call out. They could not call out because there were no operators to connect them to anybody. Now, if you lived in a larger city, you could dial direct. Phones did have a rotary dial on them, but where they lived, you had to have an operator connect you. So you usually would dial zero unless the operator was on the line when you picked it up. (laughs) In this case, they normally were, but not this night. So they couldn't get anybody. So then the police chief or fire chief rather has to wait, and start calling when operators come on duty. And because there's no fire alarm in town, it's a volunteer fire department, which means there were no paid guys except for him. So there's no, there's not guys sitting around a firehouse somewhere off duty or on duty. Uh, It's right. He has to call all of these guys individually. And they had what was called a phone tree. One guy would call one guy. Then another guy would call two guys. Another guy would call two more guys. The problem was, is that, Nobody can answer the phones. And then when they finally do, and they finally get out to the scene, by then, hours and hours have gone by, and the place is a smoldering ruin. They go in looking to see uh, if they can pull out the bodies of those five kids that are still inside. And they claim they can't find any bodies because the fire was so hot that it burned and cremated the bodies, That's which, not- as we well, and as I discussed in the episode, That's completely impossible
1: uh, because the fire. Jet jet fuel can't melt. Yeah, the the fire. Right. Exactly.
0: The fire never burned hot enough. There was still like appliances that were okay in the basement. There's no way that the fire was hot enough to destroy those bodies. And that's where all of this stuff comes from. Plus, you've got a state trooper who writes a report. Uh, for in the coroner's jury uses that same report that said that the fire was caused by faulty wiring Mm -hmm. now there's he he never checked for this he was not an electrician he didn't have anybody come in and examine it the house was brand new uh they had just built the house the wiring was brand new um so that seems kind of hard to believe um in addition to the fact that you know The the fire, the cremation would have taken, you know, eighteen hundred degrees. And yet, you know, you got a blender downstairs that's not melted. So that's impossible. Um, You know, now, why, why, why George decided that? I mean, I kind of get it. The guy's grieving. People do weird things when they grieve. But when he gets a bulldozer and just demolishes the house and fills the basement full of dirt i thought that was a weird move the lady um, don't
1: protest too much a little yeah bit. it
0: was just weird you know and i and i don't honestly i don't based on everything else that happens i i don't see any ulterior motive here for him to have done that other than he was just acting a little crazy when uh you know he was grieving the loss of five children so i kind of get that but aside from that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't find anything else weird on their part. Sad. A lot of sad, of course, on the part of George and Jeannie. But, you know, but then when they start looking back at some of the things that have happened, you know, like the guy who shows up and asks for work and George says he doesn't have anything. And the guy looks at his fuse box and said, that that's going to cause a fire someday. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like what I always say is, you know, the, the kind of insurance where you go in someplace and you go, boy. Sure got a nice place here. Sure, be bad if something happened to it. You know, It that it's like, it's like that. It's that uh-huh. kind of thing. And then you got the insurance guy who shows up and wants to sell him a policy. And he passes, says, no, thanks. Guy gets mad and says, he's going to, you know, uh, something's going to happen to him. He's going to, his house is going to burn down and his kids are going to die because George has been saying bad things about Benito Mussolini. Uh-huh. Really? I mean, that's, that's just bizarre. I mean.
1: I mean, who's a fan of Mussolini? But what do you, okay. What do you think? I mean, I know there's no way to really, really tell, but you you got kind of two different options going on here. Like either everything's a coincidence and life just happens. Or yeah. There's something else going on. I here. don't
0: know, man. It's, it's hard to say because they never got anywhere with it. Not really. Yeah. I mean, and they had a lot of people working on it. Eventually, yeah. Even the FBI. And they had those private detectives. Only uh-huh. one of them screwed them over. But a couple of those guys were working off the clock on their own free time. They got right. so obsessed. And with they're, this they're smart and they're smart people. Yeah. To, yeah. And they were busting the their ass and they're traveling all over the country. They're running down every story. And you know how that is. We've uh-huh. done that all season. Uh-huh. Talked about, you know, people with these fake stories about, oh, we saw him here, saw him there, uh-huh. you know, and, and they, they would go everywhere and run this stuff down. But you know, none of it was adding up to anything, you know? So, I mean, they're throwing out this stuff about the insurance salesman and the people who show up at the house and tell Jeannie they want to see the babies and the, you know, the guy who comes to the house and says, you know, that he broke in and stole that block and tackle out of the garage, coincidentally Uh on the same Uh night of the fire, and Uh said that he cut the telephone line, but there's no way he could have because the way the line was cut. Yeah, so,
1: I mean, all Mm. of this stuff is just
0: bizarre. You well, know, it's, and
1: it's something it doesn't make any sense. Something I've been thinking about, Troy, is like, um like for as long as you and I have been doing this, like I, I could just get online pretty quick and Google stuff and look at things. You had to kind of like go through like Microfish and all that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, you know, when I first out. started it. Yeah. And, and but even even before that, it like yeah. imagine chasing down leads, working your yeah. ass off to yeah. go nowhere just to, just to be like, okay, now I can rule that out. That would wear me out. Soon. Yeah. If, well, if I Google stuff for too long and I can't find it. Oh yeah. I'm even like, that irritates me. I know. I'm like, right? I'm
0: done. Yeah. We, we've gotten lazy. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, based on, based on stories like this of detectives who are traveling all over the country or, or just George Slaughter, yeah, who's driving all over the country, you know, and shows up, sees a, a but see then, but then, I mean, Okay before I even get to that okay
1: okay
0: I I have to say something other than in the podcast about the buried liver okay
1: we'll, we'll take a step back okay okay wait. what
0: the hell uh, the Did the you- fire chief who goes out to the the site and buries the box that he claims is a heart of one of the children and he found it in the fire unburned yeah yeah what it's the, some, what I it's, mean that makes absolutely no sense it's some Edgar Allan Poe yeah and then like, they dig it up and it, it's not a heart it's a goddamn liver and then they take it to the you know they take it to the the funeral home and one of the detectives shows up to see it and the guy's like oh yeah I left it out on the back porch what yeah, I mean yeah. what
1: what in the hell is going on here I feel like at some point it's such a bizarre as, as, story, especially man. if you are a uh, professor or if you're a law enforcement person. I feel like at some point you just pull out your gun and be like, "Okay, you know what? You're we're, we're going to sit down. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, like, can't that's do that. that's <laughs> not that. like are hit him with a phone book. Like you know yeah, that's yeah. that's not that's <sighs> not okay. Um, but yeah, but I, I I just I think about like gosh how how quickly it's escalated so much between driving 100 miles you doing your research the way you have done it or at least in you know in the 90s when i was a child right you doing right. my stuff now and i'm like i get so bored and so yeah, frustrated yeah. so quickly imagine yeah. driving 100 miles and then like uh, up, well like, oh, more than better. that a driving right. from west virginia
0: to new york because you saw a picture of a girl at a ballet school you thought was one of your daughters oh yeah now, see so- that's at the point though that's where it goes beyond mm. i'm doing detective research and off.
1: Little off the oh, rails, oh, oh, um, well, and I feel well,
0: bad for them, and I get it. I totally understand where it's coming a, from because you're because well, you're a father. Well, it's I a it, kind it, of it's a, it's a sympathetic thing, you know. Um, it's not it's not well, me it's, looking it's at it's them and going, "Wow, point. yeah, you guys are nuts." It's not that. It's just this is this is where it just stopped being um, bizarre, and then just it's, became sad. It's, but it, before it even got to that part, though. There were so many weird things, you know, like them going back and digging up the site and now finding bones that matched, you know, kids that, you know, were aged 19 to 22, which didn't match any of the kids. And then finding out the bones were dug up out of a local cemetery and planted there why where who what well, i don't a, that's
1: also that's also not kids i mean that's a well that's
0: that's young adults i know right. but that's right bizarre the,
1: too th- that's what that that's what i mean so yeah well
0: I mean, that's that's kind of where the point where they got where they, where they were seeing. you know okay so this is this is someone you know they're digging up bodies from, or bones from cemeteries and planting them at the site this goes beyond just odd at this point this is uh, if it's not evil, it's somebody really trying to accomplish. but here's the thing. Okay, uh-huh. so there's all this. Okay, there's the billboard. Yes. you know they put the billboard up that says, you know, hey, our kids, ages five through fourteen, were kidnapped. You know, officials aren't doing anything. They're saying they found they died in the fire, but there's no bones. You know, here's a reward. Please help us. Why did they lie to us? Okay, that's one thing. But then it it goes beyond that, and it starts to become. Uh, It starts to become sad, as I already mentioned, but okay, but my question is, though, and this is this is why when you said this to me and when we first started talking about this and I said, well, officially, this isn't a missing persons case officially, because, you know, according to law enforcement, the authorities, this was closed. These kids died the fire, period. That's the end of the story. As far as they're concerned, they never reopened it. They refused to reopen it. No matter what kind of information came in, they never reopened it. And you know, uh, maybe all these things were a coincidence. I mean, maybe none of those things really add up to anything. Maybe it's just a lot of a lot of weird stuff. Because here's my question, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is my big question with this story. Yeah. Why? Why? To why? why? Purpose, Give me yeah. any explanation as to why. And this is not just to you. This is to uh, this star to listeners too. Good. Yeah. If you've got an explanation for me as to why someone would have come in in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, and stole just five of the kids, not all of them, just five, leaving some there still sleeping, who never heard a thing, who passed by a daughter sleeping on the couch to get into the house in the first place, why would they have gone upstairs, somehow taken five of these kids for... Mm-hmm. What legitimate reason? I have no idea. Right. And then take and then kidnap them and then went to all the trouble to cover things up and make it look like they died in a fire. Why? I mean, there's lots of things you can say. Oh, you know, child, you know, sex trafficking, even though it's 1945, whole different thing then, but still same been around forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you, so you could say those things, but it doesn't, it still doesn't fit. Why just some of those kids? Why not the rest? How did they get in the house in the first place? Why were they never found? I mean, yes, there were all these reports, but we don't know if any of them were verified. None of them were verified, so we don't know if any of them were even accurate. They may have been just like this loony shit we've talked about all season, about crazy people coming forward with stories. What is the purpose of a kidnapping?
1: I I think that and and this is so this is me saying this, not not being a father, having, you know, total uh, a bunch of brothers and sisters and all that sort of stuff, but not being a father. But I think I would I think I would never stop looking for that answer. well no no and no i, would, I get and that I would let it de- I, i'm saying i would let it
0: destroy yeah no no me. no and i get that and i i completely understand that they they even even if those kids do, did die in that fire and they didn't think it was possible even if they really did i completely understand their reaction they didn't want course. to accept it and there was enough evidence that's to suggest I mean. that maybe they didn't die in the fire but but again though that's not my question My question question is is why, why
1: would someone have taken just those kids? Well, I think I, now I I think I get to flip this onto you, which you always do to me, which is, (laughs) it is pretty much like you're trying to understand, you're potentially trying to understand, um, uh, you're trying to reach a conclusion that was reached illogically.
0: Okay, so you you want, I'm trying to
1: find logic in in criminal
0: behavior. Yeah. In, in uh, an illogical situation where there no logic exists.
1: I think I think that this is maybe the
0: first time. I mean, that's I've, fair. I've, I've
1: ever got to flip this on to you. Because, that's fair. But, but yeah, because because yeah, I mean, while I, I find this
0: a fascinating story, that's always been the thing that has bothered me about of it. Of course. I well, can't well, that's come up with remembers it. any logical reason why this would have happened. What I it, just what, don't understand it. I just what, don't.
1: What is it? It's, I hate this so much, but it's uh, some men just want to watch the world burn. Oh, I know, know, I know that that kind of there, I know, and
0: yeah, but we could use that excuse for anything. And I, but I think
1: there's logic behind more things than there isn't. So, but this story just makes no sense to me. So, just does it frustrate you that you can't find any kind of logic into the uh, reasonable solution? It does, it's why this story bothers me
0: so much. I mean, I have. I have been fascinated with it for probably 20 years. I've, I've written about it before. Um, I've never, and heard I, about I've this dug until into you. it and I've re dug into it. And I have never come up with any better conclusions than what I have is that I don't know what occurred that night. Well, um, I think this story is more complicated than the authorities were willing to admit. Uh-huh. But I still can't find any logic behind there's,
1: there's no why
0: anyone would you. have taken these kids. No, there isn't. There really isn't.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I,
0: I get it. I, I understand it. I understand what the family was thinking. I do. Right. I just don't. I just don't understand why anyone would have
1: done it. That's and all. That's And that's my favorite part about the podcast is you and I get to talk about these things that don't make sense that should make sense but that we never ever ever really I guess no
0: I guess and but you know I'm I, I am more willing to talk about something paranormal because I know there is no real answer <laughs> right, right, right. than to something like this where there should be an answer and yeah. there isn't so isn't I don't that, know man isn't I don't that
1: know. isn't that kind of like the uh like what my mom would say, we're like oh, chalk it up to faith, sort of thing. You're like, okay, that's
0: like a cop no. out. No, that is a cop out.
1: Well, so is what you said to me. Well, I was well, sometimes we, there's no logic. there sometimes
0: some men just want to watch the world burn. That's I, what. That's the same as chalk it up to faith. But I thought there is what no. No, you were saying is no. Is, fuck no. I no. I want a goddamn answer. <laughs> I I'd rather have something that is there's <laughs> no. no way to answer. It's impossible to answer. So I just go to help with it. There's no way to answer this question. So forget it. There
1: should be an answer to this question. This there, is nothing to do with the supernatural. No, that, nothing. That's, a, that's the thing is what I was saying is, I think that you sometimes would be like, let's chalk it up to faith, meaning paranormal. And that's why this one pisses you off because yeah, but I don't usually say that though.
0: Very no, often. Of How often don't. do I say that? I don't know. You no, you but, don't. But uh, in the back of my mind, I would rather say, OK, it was there's joke. not going to be an answer for this. I'll have to wait till I die to find out. I will never find out who Jack the Ripper was or, uh, uh, Black or and, who killed and, the Black Dahlia. Yeah, I'm never going to know those things. Not while I'm alive. There is, is no three possible way to know. No, it's not that high on the list, but okay, it's but on it's, my list. Okay. It is on my list, though. <laughs> I want to know what the hell happened in the story because it makes no sense to me. Um, you know, it it, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. They couldn't have died in the fire. They couldn't have because it wasn't hot enough. So, and there were no bodies. Right. So they didn't die in the fire. I, I'm willing to accept that. Okay. I'm willing to accept that as weird as all that other stuff is, I can ignore all that and say that I'm, I'm willing to admit that they somehow got out of the fire and did not die in it. But why? And, then, and, then and where? see, that's where I, that's where it loses me. Why? There is no why. I have no why. Can, no one I, has
1: a why I can I d- I want to dig in this just just for like maybe 30 more seconds um I, everyone has already turned this off
0: you know that right yeah so, i don't listening to us yell at each other we so. we
1: made we made a podcast for each other <laughs> um I I rarely ever see you get so fired up about stuff though like this so, I,
0: this one bothers me I know it annoys I, me it's why I saved it for last so and it's Christmasy
1: well yes but okay 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 we talk about um what the lawson family and, and, and or whatever like the, the oh last...
0: i get that one dude was nut. yeah but that, that was crazy that i was... get that one it's horrible but i get it that one made me fucking cry no like, i i know or... and i understand it's a but very hard story why, why... i get it people are crazy that i can understand why this okay. i don't you didn't get as fired up over that one though no because I, I I I had I had no open questions there's a resolution. about either yeah I didn't have a question like you know I knew what happened to Marion Parker I I knew the dude paid the price I knew Charlie Lawson killed his whole family guy was crazy I get it I'm glad he shot himself I wish somebody else would have shot him yeah I don't know I wish his kid would have shot him honestly but yeah. that's the way it goes I, I don't have any questions about those stories. It's the stories like this that I do have questions about that really bother me. It's I think that this, this vanish without a trace stuff makes me insane. I think that's why I enjoy working on it so much. So, you know, uh, I just do. I mean, there's it's unsolvable in most cases. Not every one of them. Some of well, them I think there are answers. This okay. I just don't get. Well, okay, I just so- don't get
1: it. So podcast listeners, should I um, continue to help Troy um, and and keep going with these things that he enjoys, but he can't uh, understand what, but at what point to his mental health, I don't know what to do now because I've seen you kind of. Nah,
0: I'm fine. I'm fine. I just like
1: talking about it. I like
0: talking about it. It's like, I like complaining about things. It's fun. You know, it's just fun. It it brings me joy. I don't Mm -hmm. know why it just does. When I get to complain about a movie or complain about a restaurant, I mean, I don't go and you know make reviews and stuff. I'll just tell my friends. I'll just you know sure. bitch about something. Yeah, you don't, you don't
1: you don't have a letterbox for no, no 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 no. In fact, you know, in
0: fact, I mean, I've got you know, yeah no, I do not. I don't even have a letterbox where I bitch too much about movies. Right. I know all the work that goes into making. Exactly. I know that someone poured their heart and soul into it. Yes, I gave it a one star review, and yes, I said it was terrible, but. I also know that somebody really thought it was a great idea. So I, I leave it i I try to leave that stuff alone. I just don't rate it high. I, I just bet, don't say I, much about it. I know? bet
1: I bet you probably either do, but over- I might
0: tell you. Exactly. personally what garbage it is you know so i bet
1: you either do no review one or five because people that give four star reviews and they're like no i I, oh i didn't it's like shut the fuck up no i always do four star
0: reviews but only and i told you why sometimes it's four and a half but i don't think anything is perfect of course i mean i may have loved it absolutely loved it but but you know well, it's the same thing. Like, but I, I don't, it, and I don't think I don't think I I can't find anything wrong with it. I love this movie; it's great. I'm gonna watch it a hundred times before my life is over. But nothing's perfect.
1: And you it's, can get it's a five. It's the same thing. Like, I think, like, Charlie, you and I could, like, say we go through, like, Taco Bell or whatever. Like, we'll, we'll go Yelp, right? And it's like, yeah, I would never at, do that. I, I hate,
0: I hate Yelp. Okay.
1: So. Well, well, yes, but that's that. That's the Yelp like effect. Is you go through everything is absolutely perfect but you know you order no lettuce no tomatoes on this whatever you have a company yeah, order. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people will be like four, you know four-star reviews because the you know the the person handing it to me didn't smile and people like you and i are oh, like brother. are you fucking kidding me like <laughs> like no they they nothing was wrong with this And right. i think if you haven't been in that position to like Yeah. To be on the other side of it, I think a lot of people are like, sure, or you haven't put your blood, sweat, and tears into a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like people are just looking for things to be upset about or mad about. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a Yelp thing. It is, and and it is. But I feel like that's kind of what. It's almost like I feel like what you're doing right now, and, and not to say we're not oh, no, I Okay, murders. no, no, I, I get it.
0: No, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I
1: know. It's just there's never going to be anything that will satisfy you. But it's no. interesting because I, I never, know, see, you this I never see you this worked up. It's tough. I never see you this worked
0: up. Well, this is just, it's so, it's just so baffling. I I want to, I want to, I'm like Fox Mulder. I want to. Except that wasn't right because he always believed.
1: Um, Of course he did.
0: 99% of the time. Samantha. I know. But so I, you know, I I want this to be this mysterious conspiracy laden story. I really do. But I can't logically come up with a reason why it would be. That's all. I it just bugs me. It Mm. bugs me. You know, I I want these things to have been real for these people's sake. I want them to have had this conspiracy to build their life around because that was how they, you know, managed to survive this tragedy. Of course. But but it makes no sense. It just makes no sense. Why would anyone kidnap those kids? I just don't get it that's I, all that's all i'm saying and we have done we've gone on way too long yeah before. i don't want to be we gotta wrap this up no horse. we gotta wrap it up this is our last episode we gotta wrap it up yeah we gave them their money's worth we talked a lot but um yeah we gotta we gotta wrap this up. oh thing.
1: gosh so, think about how many patreon people have canceled now oh i know like, I well yeah yeah deal exactly with this
0: these shit. guys yeah so anyway um let's guys let's to ra- wrap let's this wrap 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 up um, uh, we uh we just want to say thank you again for listening to this entire season. I, hopefully you're still here at the end of this episode. It's just me. I apologize for getting uh, completely out of control. On this one. It apologize. just really bugs me. Uh, but um, thank you so much for sticking with us. Thanks for enjoying the season with us. I, at least we hope you did. Um, I did. I did a lot. In fact, I'm, you know, searching for ways to keep it going. Thanks to you, I can. Uh, so I'm going to uh, to turn it into a, another volume of a book, at least one. God knows there may be more than that before we're done with this thing. But um, anyway, uh, if you are, um, if you're, you know, wanting to stick with us for another season, we do have another one coming. Uh, just give us a little time to get things together. Take a break from the holidays. Enjoy the holidays. And we will be back with season number eight coming up soon. Um, in the eight? meantime, it is eight, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it'll be eight. So eight seasons? Yep, if you are, uh, if you just can't stand the fact that you're going to have to wait a little while for the next one, uh, we do have now almost, we're almost there. For three full seasons of our oh, other podcast, I don't Dead Men Do Do Tales," that we do on Patreon. We are don't, down to the very end of that season as well. Worry, that worry. means that you'll have brand new shows to listen to. If you haven't signed up yet, uh, you could become a supporter at patreon.com slash American Hauntings and listen to uh, some more shows uh, before we start back up. And then we'll be back for a new season in twenty. 20- 24 so come see us at dead of winter uh we'll already be rolling with the new season by then but uh we'll cook something up that goes along with our theme or our winter theme uh and uh, have something a little bit different as we always do when we do our live episode uh at dead of winter and um so anyway i think that because i got to run this episode i am going to close it out and i've never done this before so here we go Polaric. This episode, uh, yeah, I know, right? This episode of the American Hauntings podcast was uh-huh. written by Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by Cody Back. Yeah. If you enjoyed the show, yeah. leave us a review on iTunes. Okay. Tell your friends, neighbors, and random people on the street about uh-huh. it. And follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you listen Project to your favorite by. podcasts. See the website at AmericanHawtingsPodcast.com uh-huh. for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. Yeah, you can awkward. also find us on Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Instagram, yeah. TikTok, and anywhere uh-huh. else you waste hours every we day. Still doing TikTok? When you're supposed okay. to be, well, not very much, supposed to be working or studying. You and it's one not one even called Twitter anymore. Year? And I'm not, I'm just ignoring that because uh-huh. to me, it will always be Twitter. Right. anyway uh anyway we promise we're much more entertaining well that, we are we are than twitter i can tell you cool. that don't anyway well thanks for words. listening we couldn't and we definitely wouldn't do uh-huh. it without you yeah. so until next time goodbye so long and see you later
1: oh. <laughs> first off thank you so much for all the help. yeah oh, sure. um, that was really fun that was fun